Hello, it's time to chat with me, Kamea, and me, Rose. On the show, we have courageous conversations that illuminate shared experiences related to food and gender. We are here to help folks digest their relationship to food. In today's episode, we talk about convenience food, the American housewife, and our personal relationships to food nostalgia. We are live. So does that mean that we're recording mm-hmm. our first podcast episode? Our very, 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 very first podcast episode. It's kind of surreal. I know. Because this has been just so many months of just getting it out of our brains and out of our hearts of just like, this would be such a good idea and people should make a podcast about this and to like go through and learn how to do it. And I still feel like every turn I've been like, oh, got to learn how to do that. I know. I feel like there's been a lot of roadblocks in that way, but (laughs) also we've learned a lot. Yeah, we have. And there's still a lot to learn. There's still even today a lot of Googling. So we're getting there. Um, I was thinking, somebody asked me the other day about the podcast, how, like, what made us do it or when we decided. And I was like, well, actually, we've been talking about doing a podcast for, like, a year. Yeah. Because it was when we were, like, was it last summer? I don't remember the, like, moments that we were like, hey, this would be a cool podcast. I just feel like it's been a slow. Yeah. And then just the wishing there were podcasts out there like this and then getting to the point of like well how hard is it to do a podcast could we do that is that possible and it's just kind of developed from there I do remember approaching you and being like so are we gonna do it or not <laughs> and you rem- being like well shit and I, was, I, I remember just being like do you want to and you're like yeah and I was like okay <laughs> <laughs> let's do it let's do it I'm ready and then there was a lot of planning so we're finally here. I'm super excited. Congratulations. Congratulations Thanks. to you. Hey, cheers. 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 Love it. What was the moment where you were like, hey, Rose, do you want to do this? Well, I had a lot of unexpected time on my hands. We did have a lot of unexpected time on our hands. Um, a bit of work transition and reflection on like, what do I want to be creating in the world? And I, what's really been missing for me in the podcast scene as a woman who loves food, loves to eat, is so curious about just like food and where our food comes from. I mean, you know, in college, I studied food distribution systems and gender dynamics in agriculture. And I spent a long time learning about just the value that women have brought to the home economically through the processing of food. And I've just been really curious about how industrialized food has led to a lot of liberation but it also has made people sick in certain ways and it's just like it is amazing in so many ways and it also has completely transformed the way that we live and I didn't stop getting I didn't stop being curious about that when I graduated it wasn't like (laughs) oh well you graduated like good on you what are you gonna do with your food systems degree (laughs) I'm gonna farm I'm gonna work in sustainability planet's dying over here like I gotta it's a weird time to be alive that is for sure well and I know the two of us have talked about podcasts and specifically women and their relationship with food and just the complications of that and the history behind that and Like, I've shared podcasts with you that has resonated with me, but they're always, like, diet culture, anti-diet culture, 
um, you should be on this diet or fuck diets altogether. It's but just, you're still talking about diets when you do I that know. instead of just talking about the food and what you're making and like what's interesting, yeah. what's delicious. Yeah, more of a talk show to just explore it and be curious and get a little spicy. Get a little spicy. Well, and like you were talking about your experience in school and just like seeking more of that. So I went to culinary school and um, I'm a working chef currently. And obviously that's a very male dominant industry. And for me, I started like once I got that position, I started seeking any kind of books, articles, people online, podcasts that were like mostly focused on women's experience in male dominant industries. And like, I guess for to be more specific, like I want to hear about their journey through that. Not like, oh, I'm at the top now and we can kind of touch on the things that I went through. But like not, I couldn't find anybody that I could relate to. Um, Even just in terms of like just doing the job, like – it's always the already they're successful and I want people that are actually like on the ground doing the work and I can't find it so so here we are here we are here we are are. I think the other interesting part about what you said right there is also just the lifestyle aspect of working in industry and being Mm -hmm. a chef and um, as your friend I know it impacts your Mm -hmm. lifestyle like it's just always a part of your life Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of times when I'm given insights into a chef's world, it's always like they're super famous. They are, they're more of like TV personalities or like, that's just like, you're either big or you're in the trenches. And what Mm -hmm. about the material that covers the like, I mean, the highs and the lows of the lifestyle. Right. Well, and like the everyday person, not the like Michelin star award winning people out there. Cause that's awesome. That's great. And I, that's a dream but but there's a lot of art and beautiful food mm-hmm. that comes out in that in between space it's true but I mean we also as we were developing this podcast and the idea of things we want to talk about we wrote down all kinds of concepts and plans and obviously as women and both of us being feminists things always go back to like that realm and that feel, realm being the patriarchy the patriarchy <laughs> Like, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, oh. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Through talking, one of the things that really stood out to us was just when women really like entered the workforce, having to balance that like home life and work life. And it's just it's really interesting because these are like our mothers, grandmothers, great grandmothers. And I just want to know more about it. So we dove into an interesting conversation about convenience food because that really changed. And I know you have a lot to say, but what like I have a lot to say about almost anything I know you do pretty opinionated (laughs) I'm pretty opinionated (laughs) I love it um but convenience food changed the face of our entire the professional food industry people's homes lives it's crazy so one of the things we both touched on that we think is really fun is tv dinners that we're talking about today yeah are you ready I'm ready okay well just to get started when I say tv dinner what is the image in your mind like what do you think of um i would say the well the first thing that comes to my mind is just the grocery store like multiple aisles of freezer whether that's tv dinners or just frozen food convenient foods in that way um the other thing that pops out to me is i almost like i don't 
want to offend anybody, but I almost want to say like sad people. This just is a sad meal. A TV dinner is sad. There's no love in it. What do you mean? It's it, it's not very good for one. I don't know. We'll see. We'll taste some later. <laughs> Maybe I'll change my opinion. But um, but you think of it as sad food? Like in current time, yeah. Um, and then I, obviously the other thing I think of is the, the vintage-ness of the TV dinner and the family gathering around the TV with their little TV trays and watching talent show things and eating their dinner out of the trays <laughs> that's what I think of what do you think about I think when you say tv dinners specifically I think of a tray with um different portions like portioned out like you mm-hmm. have a meat you have a potato and you have a vegetable and I think it's a really interesting where my brain went was just the um how it is a perfect illustration of how we kind of conceptualize balanced meals because they were also advertised as like the complete meal not just nutritionally but just like from a place of satisfaction you have your meat your potato and your vegetable sometimes your dessert too sometimes there are dessert and I do have like a sensory memory when you say tv dinner I think about the ones like that were marketed to kids in the 90s with the penguin on it and it had the microwave chocolate pudding and it had a very distinct plastic taste like even as a kid I knew it was kind of gross but I loved it because I got to put on my own sprinkles which was another like added level of like I make it sparkle. I make it sparkle. Uh-huh. And it was fun. And it was like all the stuff that I wasn't allowed to have normally, like chicken nuggets, pudding, and I don't like corn, like, which is also super starchy and super, star- super sugary. Yeah. So I, I probably had one of those like a handful of times, but they were heavily marketed to kids. Like I remember the commercials and just well, also being like, like it's I not- couldn't find them when I went shopping. For the huh. TV dinners for us later that we're going to sample, like, I, I couldn't find, the, like, kids' cuisine. Funny. I, well, I wonder if, because it's not TV dinners, but I, like, when you're saying that, the first thing pops to my mind that's really nostalgic for me. I never had the, like, the frozen desserts, but I, once in a very great while, I would get a Lunchable. And sometimes there was, like, the fancy Lunchables that also came with, like. You're bougie. I didn't get Lunchables. I mean, once in a great while. <laughs> I was the child that was begging in that aisle. Can I just have a Lunchable? But sometimes, like, the fancy Lunchables, if I remember correctly, they also had this separate compartment that had, like, I think it was, like, pudding and, like, a cookie straw thing. You know what I mean? Well, that's what comes to mind when I think of a TV dinner specifically. I think about the trays with the portioned out meals, but I think... There's a broader category of convenience food. And I think what showed up more in like my home when I was a kid was um, like the Stouffer's lasagna and not and like my mom did have times where she made lasagna from scratch and I learned how to make it from my mom. Right. But I also fucking loved it when she just got the vegetarian Stouffer's lasagna with the white sauce. It was like the best thing. Did you get one of those today? That sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was on the list, but I, it didn't quite make it. Okay, I, that's fair. Made, I got four different ones. Is, I didn't think we'd I make know, it through. I know. Um, that's it's funny to me to even hear like 
with our different backgrounds how what you think of when you think of tv dinners and i'm my answer is just like it's just sad <laughs> oh, in my memory it was a luxury it was the food that we would have when my mom was out of town or did your dad cook not really i think two handful of memories that are pretty great that he he cooked in but um are you gonna tell us <laughs> I was going to say, do we, do we want to go down that hole? Because we can. Because my dad worked a ton when I was little. So he um, he worked graveyard shifts too. So he would sleep during the day and then I would only get a couple hours in the afternoon before he would go to work. Um, and he asked me what I wanted for lunch. And I said I wanted macaroni and cheese from the box. And he didn't know if he had to salt it. And so he salted the water. but Which is makes sense because you, you, you can't absolutely do that. I do that. But he put like a lot of salt because he didn't, he, he doesn't, he's not like he does, he's not the most equipped in the kitchen. He's a lot better now. But this is when I was like six years old. And he salted the water incredibly heavily and then cooked the pasta and then salted it again when he was mixing it all. And I just remember taking a bite and being so confused at six years old because it was, it like was so salty it burned your mouth. Ugh. And at one point he was shoveling it in his, face and he didn't say anything and I was just like this is pretty good dad (laughs) and I remember trying to compliment him because I knew it was really bad (laughs) but um that was a good time and then my favorite memory is um I think I was probably like 10 or 11 Uh, my mom rarely would like go on a trip without us but she was gone for a month and she had all these meals planned for us right so we had all Mm -hmm. these freezer meals that she had prepared and there was one day that we had not had any left. And so he decided he was going to do, um, I don't remember because I didn't eat this food. Maybe maybe I was at a friend's house and I came home and I already ate dinner. I don't remember. But I came home and he had taken a pound of hamburger, the kind that you get at the butcher where it's just like with the white paper wrapped up. Yeah. And he took it frozen, unwrapped the paper, like opened it all up, salt and pepper at the top. And in the paper and all, he just set it in the microwave and he microwaved it, the whole, the frozen brick of ground beef, pulled it out. On the paper? On the paper. How did it, did it just make a mess? Remember, it's frozen solid. So. Ah, of course. So it cooks on the outside and he pulled it out and then he would eat all the cooked on the top because it was still frozen in the middle because microwaves, you know, it cooks on the outside, like takes a second. And so he would scrape off all of the bits that were cooked until he got to the frozen and then he would resalt it and then redo it. And he did it that like three times until it was all gone. <laughs> Are you laughing face, at my face? Your face is <laughs> but also if, if anybody even is listening that knows my father, the few of you, you're, it, it all makes sense. He's a simple guy and in that moment food was fuel and he's not afraid to eat anything. <laughs> So, yep, well, just scraped off the cooked bits and then re-microwaved, re-cooked it and brought it back out and scraped again. This is a really good, like, tangent back into what we were talking about. But I want to ask you real quick about salting your pasta water. Okay. Because I never do. And hmm. I'm such a foodie. But it was just like, in my family's home, salt was precious. Right. And my grandma was really adamant about it. And she, like, instilled in me, like this idea that every grain of salt that you drop you will have to clean up when you are dead 
That's fine. Before you can move on to the afterlife. And I don't know if she just like said that to me like offhandedly and as in a kid's memory I'm just like holy shit I better be careful and I also didn't know how to recognize I'm never gonna go to like whatever the afterlife is the amount of salt I've spilt in my life (laughs) and the amount of just like haphazardness of salting well and my mom always tell me like you throw salt over your left shoulder yeah for good luck so yeah, it's I like do that. both like in my brain and it's oh, like to funny. this day it's still like a well I don't want to use more salt than I need and also like I don't totally understand salt as like a resource that comes from our planet so that's another expert I'd love we could do an episode on we salt we should I would love that but salt I want to so ask you about why salting your pasta water and how much is too much um also is it fine like I might delicious pasta all the time I do I feel like it. it does make a difference when I have done it because sometimes a lot of times I just forget to salt the water um it was just a thing they taught us in culinary school like you always salt the water but they never told you why not specifically I want to say because I'm I'm not answering your question very well I should know this but I want to say it does have something to do with the texture of the pasta um not the boiling temperature of the water no more of it like the salt will interact with like probably some sort of the protein i i don't that's me just going on a whim i don't know um but i've heard that it can be a textural thing um and then in school yeah they just always were basically in, in culinary school they teach you that there's never a step in your your process that you should forget about seasoning or flavoring something that there's always a window of opportunity and so if you're going to blanch vegetables, salt the water or put a little bit of vinegar or aromatics. If you're going to poach something. And you're blanching water? Yeah. Whoa. Why not? It's an opportunity to impart flavor. But I don't know how many use. So like I'm going to go home after our podcast and I have a bunch of green beans to blanch. And what are you doing with your green beans? I'm freezing them for later. They're going to be for Thanksgiving what are some thanksgiving flavors that you would want to impart or that you typically use well thyme i get i use thyme in everything but i just feel like if i don't season them they're more versatile for whatever the fuck i want to do it's up it's it's up to you it's totally up to you like um i did a thanksgiving dinner where i did a bunch of roasted and again it's a take-home dinner so we had to prepare all this food in these foil aluminum pans and then people would pick them up and it would, the whole goal is to put them in their oven give them instructions and that's it um no other steps really involved um and so I blanched a bunch of these vegetables and like par roasted them to get some color but not too much because you don't want to like have them overcooked when they have it in their hands yeah yeah and yeah when I did that I did a little bit of herbs and bay thyme peppercorns hmm. why not um but yeah, I think uh, I work really long hours and I'm pretty exhausted and oftentimes I meal prep so I have like good food to eat when I get home. But um, there are those days that I do not have that. And I my favorite thing to reach for is a box of macaroni and cheese. It's my favorite. And it's quick. It's easy. I don't have to think about it. Kind of like and literally it's funny you bring up the salt in the water because like in a, the last few months I'm like why don't I ever like put more attention into this like it's easy food but also like put a little love in it Jessica so I threw um <laughs> that inner voice can be such a bitch I know so I added God, some salt to so my water lazy. why don't you just put some self that says is self-care honey it you're is. doing your self-care it is. wrong because sometimes you'll like eat and I'm like oh this doesn't taste as good as I want it to obviously so there's probably a lot of sodium in box macaroni and cheese and anyways but whatever 
Um, I'm a gluttonous person, so it's fine. And um, so I add a little salt to my water now all the time. And I will tell you, I have noticed a massive difference to the end product of my macaroni and cheese. So um, just experiment with it. Have fun. Well, that was really insightful. And I'm really excited to go home. And the next time I go make mac and cheese, I'm definitely going to be like, fuck, I got to salt the water. Okay. Get that water salty, girlfriend. Um, I'll report back. Um, bringing it back, how old your dad? Like, give me some context about like where he was coming from, why he yeah. reaches for the microwave so much. He um he was born in like the early fifties, I believe, right around that time that I think those convenient products were really hitting the shelves hard. And when was the microwave fully normalized? My understanding is it's a technology that came out of World War Two because the the radar that they were using to help find Nazi fighter jets. I don't know the terms, but they were using it in their sonar to kind of like figure stuff out. Um, So the 1955 is roughly when the first like domestic microwave was around. But I mean, I'll put a link into the show notes because I I found this thing. It was like pretty comical. The first microwave was six feet tall. (laughs) and it had to be plugged in and it had to be cooled um with water because it would like get so hot does size truly matter (laughs) (laughs) it's like a microwave closet yeah to make it weird okay uh yeah but it took but like the first like actual microwave that they sold to well they actually tested it in restaurants before they were testing it in home kitchens and then marketing it to women for like convenience foods they weren't really like getting going at like there's another aspect of tv dinners for my generation is i think of them as going into the microwave yeah but the microwave itself as a technology wasn't like in everybody's home until the 70s and like the 60s is when we got like oh this actually makes sense to buy as an appliance where it's not like the equivalent of ten thousand dollars today or a few thousand dollars where it was more like "Eh, it's expensive but like it's worth it and it's so advertised to women as like it'll reduce your labor you can please your man man can cook for himself he doesn't have to run on the schedule like because he can stay at his after work office parties a little later than he intended yeah exactly exactly but the first tv dinners actually had to be made in the oven and now if i were to put the tv dinners that i brought home for us today if i put it in the oven it would probably light on fire i wonder if part of that is that as the generations have like continued the oven is being used less and less on just like because of the convenience of it like a microwave you just put it in you push the button it's done you don't have to wait for it to preheat it takes it's way faster than an oven it's just more of a convenience in the world of our generation. I guess. Which is weird to think about because. It's so yeah. interesting because I reach for the oven for everything. I do too. But like early 50s, your early dad 50s. was born. Microwave's not really a thing. Right. World War II's ending. But the TV dinners, they um, really hit the scene in the early 50s. Um, but there's this interesting like there's two technologies that have to happen in order for tv dinners to become what they are one people need access to both refrigeration and freezers and i did read an article and i'll link it in the show notes um for y'all but 
there's this interesting point where it made a lot more sense to ship canned food and preserved food frozen foods could stay home and people started getting freezers and freezing technology became a little bit cheaper and so we'd have like small ice boxes in the home starting in the 60s it was definitely a thing um but the 60s the freezers on our tv like if you think of think of like i love lucy and think about the refrigerator you see and how small the ice box is it's not something we're really used to using until we start having more of a food product economy and um then we can like just have ice cream whenever we want want. it wasn't as much of a special occasion to go out and get it it was totally you could have ice cream in your home can you imagine living in a time where you can't just have a bad night and be like fuck it i need to just get home and eat a pint of ice cream and fuck all of you like you would have had to go like get dressed be mildly presentable even if say, you're like having a rough day where people are like sorry Ooh. ass down to the old malt shop my mascara is running and i don't know but i just need my vanilla and strawberry ice cream <laughs> on a cake cone please <laughs> vanilla and strawberry yeah do you not get vanilla and strawberry no wow wow as an ice cream connoisseur somebody who <laughs> my job was to make ice cream for a couple years if you ever go to a new ice cream place and you want to test their ice cream and know if it's really good or not, always try their vanilla. Because how they treat their vanilla. Okay, I would agree with lot. that. I would agree lot. with that. Um, as an adult, I have come to appreciate the vanilla, but also I fucking love butter pecan. What? It is the only time in your life that you can just like eat buttered butter. pecan. It's the only time you can just eat spoons You're and such spoons an old of butter. Lady. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's so funny. Rocky Road was my favorite as a kid. But anyway, okay. So back back to to the freezers. And just like think about like you have I Love Lucy. Think about the size of the icebox. Vita Vita Vegemin. (laughs) What the fuck did you say? (laughs) If you know, you know. Vita Vita Vegemin. Anyways. Sorry, I'm I'm distracting you. You are. Sorry. Come on. Roll. I have something important to say. Freezers and ice cream. Galore. So in the 1960s, f- home freezers actually became a lot bigger. Just like the proportion of like, here's your refrigeration box, which was also like becoming more and more of a like, most homes have refrigerators at this point. But your freezer also had to get a lot bigger in order to store all of the freezer foods. And that also means that grocery stores were having to up their freezer technology Whoa. in order to have frozen foods available. But there's also a period of time where like people who don't have access to freezing technology might be buying frozen meals because they're just like going to get it, cook it in the oven and just like reduce the cooking time because again, they were all just being cooked in the oven. So um, I thought that was really interesting and reflecting on the fact that my own freezer is like a sizable chunk of my refrigeration space and in my like life right now, I keep a separate freezer. I use it as a way to put up food, which was how the freezing technology was originally sold to women two generations ago mm-hmm. when women were still um, really working on they putting were, food up. Yeah. Like we didn't have the supermarket infrastructure just two generations ago. Like again, it's like totally changed 
all of the way. Like my my grandmother was born in the 1930s, and that it was 1939. I'm gonna get a text from my mom to see if she listens to this and be like, wow. But I remember there was a paper I worked on in college where I learned that the year the shopping cart was invented for the first supermarket was the year my grandmother was born. Oh, fun! Is that fun? Crazy. But that is like the evolution of the way our food has changed the way our world has changed the way we eat and interact with food has changed so significantly within two generations which means we can change it again if we want to but we just all have to work together the original freezing technology was mostly focused on homesteading women of like this is so much easier this is so convenient similar language that they use to later sell the tv dinners of like imagine how many green beans you can put up mm-hmm. if you're not going through and canning them all and like having to sterilize everything well, and put them through the pressure canner and all that you just like blanch them freeze them done done well the, like the tv dinner thing too also makes me think like the convenience of the housewife who's in quote unquote in charge of Everything in the house, taking care of the God knows how many fucking kids you have. All of the cleaning. Thank you. Yeah, zero right now. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't decided. Um, And we're like looking at it how I relate to it. Being able to take something out of the freezer and put in the oven and have it done always within an X amount of time reliably is such a game changer for your schedule of your life and like as a cook I think about it like being able to have that like power to be able to just immediately like put it in you know within x amount of minutes it's done and it's reliable that would change the game a hundred percent so if you have all this other stuff going on and you don't know when your husband's going to be home or like we mentioned earlier your husband's going to Maybe come whenever he wants to come home. Well, it's not like it's the time where you get like, oh, I got a text, honey, I'm running late. Exactly. You don't know. You don't know. There's no that. There's not that communication or your kids are riding their bikes down the, I don't know, 1950s. What did they do? I don't really know. I didn't live that generation. Um, Kind of grateful for that, to be a little bit honest. (laughs) But that would be such a game changer to be like, oh, I know as soon as he comes home, walks to the door, I can put those meals in. And by the time he takes his shoes off, I don't know what guys do, have a beer, sit down, has his like decompression time. This sounds so gross. Why am I feeling this is so gross? It's like this weird gender dynamics that freaks me out. But it is interesting. That, but this is where your brain goes yeah. of like, this is what I've been taught. And she knows imagining what is minutes. a wife. Yes. And that's her responsibility and her role at that time. So it's just, it to me, it would be such a game changer if I was a housewife in the 1950s and that was my sole job is to manage the house. It'd be such a game changer. Glorious. It'd be absolutely glorious. Well, you do know that the first TV dinner was an absolute accident. Tell me more. Um, so in like the early 19, mid-1950s, there was a low uh thanksgiving bird sales so they didn't sell enough turkeys swanson and company specifically Mm -hmm. estimated like we need x amount of turkeys to hit the supermarkets for thanksgiving dinners blah 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 and they overestimated with their contracts with farms and they had that's so scary (laughs) a lot like a literal fuck ton actually 200 and i'm gonna check my notes 260 tons of leftover turkeys from thanksgiving 
that they didn't know what to do with. And they had these turkeys, they were butchered, they were processed, they didn't sell for Thanksgiving. How did, and like, where were they keeping these turkeys? On a train. On a train, a refrigerated train? On a refrigerated train that they were having to just shuttle back and forth um, from to the headquarters on the East Coast. And I'm, and I'm citing wild. this article I found on the History Channel that I'll link in the show notes, but... I don't know where those headquarters are specifically, but my understanding is that refrigeration technology at the time required the train to keep moving in order to keep the birds cool. They couldn't just like park it somewhere and have a refrigerated truck of turkeys. That's wild. So they had all these turkeys left over. It's just like going back and forth, burning fossil fuels. Back and forth <laughs> from Nebraska to the headquarters. Is somebody driving this train? Well, yeah. I they mean... don't have automatic, <laughs> like, just, like, self-driving trains. Somebody's just, like, drinking and they're like, I was going to oh, say, uh, talk about the that gig. They're just like, oh, dude, I'm just getting paid. Just go back and forth, back and forth until they figure out what to do. Yeah. And then there's a room of executives trying to figure out what wow. to do with these turkeys. And um, there's a little bit of hearsay about, like, oh, it was the executive that figured this out versus, like, a average blue-collar guy that was like hey i saw these like portioned out meals on an airplane once like what if we did that what if we just like portioned it out and froze them and freezing technology was just like on the up and up and yeah so interesting so the very first tv dinner then describe like in your reading describe what what was that so it clearly was turkey was it like mimicking thanksgiving what was in it it was a slab of turkey some gravy potatoes like a really dumbed down version um i read one that had a little side of cranberry sauce even or it was just like give your cranberry sauce and like i think it was green beans it's hitting into the nostalgia of people too like what do you like well one that's what they kind of had to use but also you're hitting that we can have Thanksgiving whenever we want. Totally. That's fun. It's fun when companies learn to manipulate our emotions to drive food trends and get us to buy convenience foods. It's people's psychology is fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Preparing for this episode, I realized that it had actually been a very long time since I had been down the frozen food aisle Mm-hmm. as an adult where I was actually seeking out the single serving like here's your frozen meal as an adult shopper I definitely reach for things like pizza rolls frozen taquitos frozen pizza but they're I I don't think I bought a frozen lasagna but living on my own outside of my family it's usually just been like me and my partner so it doesn't like like, if I had kids, I'm sure I'd be like, fuck it, I'm just going to buy the frozen lasagna. Yeah, there's those and now I've sure. prepared lasagnas for my freezer before. I've done that, and that's been really nice um, in, in more of my adult life. But I haven't gone to get a TV dinner. I also don't own a TV. So That's so weird. Is that weird? It's weird. Why is it weird? We can get everything on our laptops. I don't know. I, I Maybe I just... Uh, it's such a nostalgia for me to like get cozy on the couch, turn some like a movie on and just see it on like a bigger screen. Well, you have a TV, but I have a microwave. See, and I don't have a microwave and I'm really hard headed about it. 
I don't want one in my house. Why? Um, even when I was younger and I moved out for the first time, I was pretty adamant I didn't want to have a microwave. I grew up most of my life without a microwave. And when I got a couple roommates down the road, they had a microwave. And I told myself, I'm never going to use that thing. And I used it so much. What did you make? Just like, oh, I have a microwave in my house. Instead of getting box mac and cheese, I can get the Easy Mac. Just, it can cause really fucked up shit because you're a lot of times you're cooking stuff in plastic and then you're heating it and then that's like absorbing into the food that you're consuming and it just freaks me out a lot and so I just choose not to have one so that I never have to rely on it I just use the oven okay so I clearly have a dislike for microwaves why I'm surprised after knowing you because I've known you for almost 10 years why do you have a microwave (laughs) Why are you giggling? Do you want the truth or do you want me to be like, yeah, I have a microwave. It lives in my garage. <laughs> I want I want the truth. Like it doesn't listen. It doesn't live in my kitchen. It's in the garage as a tool. As a tool. As a as a tool for like, you know, heating up things. Like TV dinners? Sure. What else could it heat up? <laughs> <laughs> What do you do with it? What do you do? I'm dying over here. The whole is really embarrassing. No, it's not. It is. You're probably not the only one. The reason we have a microwave is because my partner was really interested in me getting a Brazilian. And I'm very, very DIY. You are so DIY. <laughs> and I blame slash thank my mother for like anytime a new challenge is presented to me, I'm like, well, how do I do this instead oh of gosh. like getting help? And so I did all this research and I was just like, at first I was like really resistant, but I was like, no, like I'll do it for love, fucking love. And I'm, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to do it. And I'm a strong, independent woman. Also, I can wax myself. I'll say waxing is better than shaving no matter what part of your body no matter what you're doing i'm just get it sold on underarm waxing is the best not myself i tried to do myself it was horrible don't wax yourself i'm so excited for because we share the same we have the same esthetician and and waxer i'm very excited for her to hear this episode i I don't know if she knows that this is why i own a microwave she's gonna know now i did all the research and i was like no i'm gonna get this hard wax i'll just pick up a kit from rite aid i just gotta like heat it up whatever and i like offhandedly told my partner just like oh yeah like okay so like i figured it out like in order to like do this where i'm not like ripping my skin off i have to use this hard wax and like that requires a microwave so i'm not was he helping you did he like pull the papers no but i like said this like (laughs) no fuck that no he heard me say this and I was just like yeah but like I can't do it because we don't have a microwave and then I went to work and I came home (laughs) and he had like gone on Craigslist and like got a microwave that day and was like well I got a microwave and I was like are you fucking kidding me oh my god you're stuck now you have to do it so my bluff was called like I had to to figure it it out and that's fun so I went to Rite Aid and I got some cheap writing wine and like the kit and all this and i turn on some nice music for myself love, and i'm like gonna make an activity i love that you went to write it to get your like wax wax your waxing wax 
and you picked up a bottle of wine just i like that you you're a person where you do that when you have like a thing you like pick up the extra thing and it's oh, just yeah. you're just efficient like that i had some music on i was like okay i'll make some me time this is gonna be a thing and it was horrible I could imagine. I was crying. I was bleed. I made myself bleed. Yes. You don't. You should never. That's the one thing I've. I've. I, so I've never actually personally waxed myself in any capacity on my own. It's I'm too much of a baby. Horrible. I'm too much of a baby. I can't do it. I. I wish I was more metal than that. I feel like in other aspects of my life, I make up for it. But. Yeah, our esthetician she's gonna piss her pants like she's gonna be super mad at you because you don't do that that's one thing she said never touch it even like for like eyebrows she's like please do not pluck just wait for me don't touch it oh i tweezed my eyebrows hard as a teenager but that's just what you did in the early 90s that's what you did that's what you did and you didn't you, there's no like, guide for it and was just like you have this dark brown hair we're gonna just gonna like do this now pluck that shit off show. baby anyway patriarchy so that's why i own a microwave jessica jesse rose to wax your pube that was the original reason we had it and now we have it and i don't really use it to heat up food it lives in my garage and i have it for like the occasional just like oh gotta heat this up real fast but like that's generally fair. speaking okay i get that and i respect that you respect i do i think you're a fucking badass and way braver than i am i i didn't feel like a badass when i was like crying into my wine you and britney me. spears was like eh, toxic. toxic and i'm just like Bleh. you should have called me and i would have been like right there cheering you on we're good cheering me on while i'm waxing my pussy sure unless you want to do something different but it seemed you know i'll it's wipe worth your the tears. expense to just like get it done it is worth it because it hurts way less. Everything is just worth it. Every ladies, better. guys, whoever wants to wax any kind of body hair, just whoever, go just go to a professional. There's a reason why they have to be certified for it. It gets fucking hot out of the microwave, and it would like burn myself, and I was bleeding. And it reminds me of the Friends episode where Monica and Phoebe decide to wax their legs for those who are friends, fans. Oh my god, it was totally like that. But I it's didn't have a whole a thing, and, and then they're stuck. Myself. Well, and then they like remember when they get it on their legs, and then they're stuck, and they're like, "Holy fuck, we have to pull this paper off," and I don't want to do it. It sucks. It's, oh, that's one of my favorite episodes of all time. Um, Anyways. But anyways, That's why um, the patriarchy really fucks up us women <laughs> and we really go to great lengths. But um, <laughs> you weirdo. <laughs> um, but anyways, to bring it back to food, because that's our podcast it's theme. It's the appropriate follow up to a good pussy conversation. I love it. I love it. Who doesn't love a good pussy? Um, anyways, so... I know when we had talked about this episode as an idea, one of the things that I was really inspired by is like, well, we're coming out of World War II. So women during World War II with all of the guys being drafted to the war, which fucking can't imagine how that would be. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, Women really had to come into the workforce not only for the economy but also to like help with just all the war shit like all the things that we would ship to our troops um so there was a lot of leaning on to the women in the world because fucking girl power we fucking got this shit we got we got it um and so that was like so world war ended around nine, 1945 am i right with that i think i am um we can correct me <laughs> comment and correct me please 
Um, and so TV dinners came out about five years later, right? Kind of roughly. Yeah. So it makes me think like women were working a ton during the war in my research. Um, I had read it at 1950 era women in the workforce actually dropped by 30%, which is really interesting because they were there and then the war ended and they all got to go back to their homes, their husbands back at home. Everything's okay-ish. Um, and then one thing I read, and I, again, take it with a grain of salt because it was one article I read, but the percent of women that were in the workforce that were also married like went up a little bit. And a part of my dark mindset, <laughs> I had some theories about that, if you're interested. Of course so, I'm interested. So sidebar, when I was reading, it wasn't like a law or anything like crazy official, but it was kind of this thing. It was called the marriage bar. And there were companies that they actually wouldn't employ or they would fire women if they were married or got married. So you're not talking about a physical bar, like I'm going to no, go to a bar no. and all the women here are unmarried. That's just what it, it it's kept just like being a, called. It's like the glass ceiling. Correct. And so regardless if that had anything to do with potentially getting pregnant at any point, all the sexism we can think of of married women not being allowed to work because, you know, they have to put their time to their husbands and they have a whole other job running the household which is a whole thing so if that was in place today you would have different employment opportunities than mm -hmm. i would even though we both don't have correct. children correct we're both roughly the same age we both are educated we both have very similar passions we're both pretty much the same exact age and <laughs> <laughs> you're about to make fun of me for being old no we're only like a few months older than i am um but yeah, technically, if we were put back into the 19, 1950, 19, late 1940s, you would most likely not get job opportunities. Just because I'm married. Just because you chose to get married. Just because you chose to put a ring on it. Which is crazy. Crazy. Um, and then I had read too on that note that there were businesses that to avoid discrimination acts potentially they started calling the only female workers that were married as supplementary workers so that they weren't quote permanent workers so they would label you when you were hired like i can get rid of you at any point for any reason it's so like contract work essentially or gig work i guess so yeah it didn't necessarily have a start or an end it was yeah. just like you're here for whatever person. yeah you're not a permanent employee and that was already set in stone when you like got the job, which is so interesting. And that wasn't um, by law that wasn't taken away. Like you legally couldn't do that until I think like the mid 60s. The mid 60s? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's right around the women's rights movements, blah, blah, blah. Um, but anyways, to uh, the working women peaked at the war. It decreased around 1950, five years later. Um, but married women were like predominantly still in the workforce. And part of my really dark, fucked up theories is the World War II was really, really dark. So my father has shared a couple stories from my grandfather that are just horrific, right? Any war, doesn't matter which one it is. They're all horrific. Imagine these soldiers that are deployed. Maybe they weren't necessarily 
going, they didn't go into the military. They didn't choose that, but they were deployed into it and drafted without quote unquote, their consent had to experience the shit of war. Even still today, it's more talked about now than it was before, but these men come back with massive PTSD, not just like psychological, but physical too. Like they're potentially disabled. My grandfather lost his leg in the war. Um, so he had a prosthetic leg, which also in that era was a big deal. He couldn't run and play football with his kids like the other dads. Mm. Um, but he also made up for it in many ways. He was a great father and a great grandfather. Um, but think about like the PTSD. Think about all the wounded soldiers. Think about women getting a taste of that independence is really dark the amount of domestic violence that could have happened these people coming back and they they're not the same person Mm -hmm. and there's probably reasons why women didn't want to be in the household as much as they were it's just it's such a different world I can't even like fathom being looked down upon for working or have my partner looked down upon because his wife I'm not married but like is is working isn't that a weird thought in the world of toxic masculinity? It is a weird thought. Like you could, like if you, you as a married woman who also works, they could be like, oh my gosh, like that man, you know, his wife works. You know what that probably means? He's not a good worker or like just those weird gossips that go through. Like that's so weird to me. Yeah. And well, that was our grandparents' on, era. It was, it's weird on many levels because yeah. what you're speaking to is also what work was able to provide a family and in our generation I among my peers so again we're in our 30s -hmm. we're going we're headed into our 30s we just turned 30 the mothers in my life that are my peers I don't know any of them that aren't working yeah we can't afford not to work we can't afford not to work and so there's a couple things that come through my mind there whereas there's economic pressures mm-hmm. to work because we have to because of the unequal distribution of wealth and what it costs to live and provide for a family today. Like, oh, I'm so glad we have all these conveniences. There's and a reason why I mean you don't have kids right now. And our parents had kids at this point. Uh, for like, There's a lot of reasons, but like I can't afford to have a kid right now. I literally cannot afford to have a child right now. Mm-mm. And... The economic pressures for women to keep working and there is liberation in women being paid and receiving compensation for their work, but there is so much work that women have been providing for years that hasn't been quantified in economics, but this is all based on capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. As, as far as like a system of organizations and how you form a society, this is all capitalism. So there's the economic pressure for women to go to work. But there's also liberation in just working itself. So for me, I am very privileged to be in a loving marriage that I have a lot of independence in. Yeah. And I love working. I love it. I love working. I love putting work into the world. It is a space in which I am not a wife, I am not a daughter, I am not a sister, I'm not a whatever. And I 
get to decide. I mean, there's a lot of factors that make it hard to decide, but um, a different it show it's a different part of who you this are. This thing that we're doing right now, me being a podcaster, Ooh. us being a podcasters, are separate from our lives as daughters, as partners, as a wife, as sisters. Yeah. It is just me which can be very liberating yeah i think it's really important because it gives you a purpose that's outside of another human being whether that's your kids or your partner or your parents but any especially like my job it is so male dominant and there was such a long period of time and even still now there's very little women in the position that i'm in and it's getting in better your circle in my circle in just my industry abroad especially when you look at like the successful people in my industry I have moments where like my job is really hard like I had shared with you yesterday that this last week I was really salty it was a really tough week for me in a lot of different ways and are you salty and I'm spicy yeah oh my god that's totally who we are (laughs) oh I love that I love making that connection um I, even when I'm salty, like I love what I do. And I love the fact that I get to do that every single day. And I also know that I'm really privileged and lucky to be able to do what I do because of all these women that came before me. And I like have to have moments every once in a while and then like acknowledge that and appreciate that because I think that's really important. It is. Um, and yeah also recognizing how close they are how close they are like for me i idolize gloria steinem yes i she's a queen love her but i also love her partner in crime dorothy hughes Mm -hmm. who you don't hear enough about and i i love that for gloria her work was never just about feminism right she never made a big deal about like oh i took these diversity trainings and therefore i brought my black friend on to help me start this magazine and (laughs) i'm woke as fuck yeah she's just like no dorothy knows her shit and she's my good friend and we're gonna do this and it was never a question and she's one of the only white idols that i have where it's like duh yeah why the fuck are you making a big deal my liberation is your liberation i learned how to do this because of you and you learned how to do this from me and we're just like in this together and i just sorry not to bring it back to racism but i do think that gender dynamics and racism are very intertwined for oh me. very much so yeah our heroes aren't that far away like gloria steinem is still not only alive, but she's put some efforts into upholding LGBTQ plus communities and just being like, well, yeah, gender is a construct, like get with the program. And so I just, I, she's fucking badass, man. She's fucking badass. Did you know she didn't get married until she could have her own credit score? I did. I think it's also just important to recognize that we stand on the shoulders of giants and also a lot of those giants are still around Mm -hmm. both the positive and the negative not that far away and a lot of those ideals are still just like trickling down into what we experience today and i think the same is true of the feminism movement and we're still there's a lot of liberations that are available to me as a working woman now right 
that was not for like our grandmothers or great grandmothers including convenience food yes it's funny because convenience food is such a huge moment and then for me and my profession we avoid every single bit of cans we can like we make everything from scratch that we possibly can for the most part the kitchen that I run right now is the least amount of cans and bags that we've ever opened which is makes me really proud that's also a personal choice and you're coming and you're dining with me and I feel like ethically morally the way I view it I want to give you the best possible plate you can and that means everything is from scratch and nothing is fake and facade everything is made with love and but at home convenience food really comes in handy and with the sense of affordability preserving being able to have vegetables in a can or in a freezer at your disposal is huge I know both of us reach for more um home-cooked things but we also are human and we at times reach for convenient foods and frozen foods and frozen meals what's in your freezer right now so I have two freezers. I have the freezer that's attached to my tiny fridge. Right. I say tiny. It's like pretty big by like 1960s standards. But right. I like, I feel like my fridge in my life is like the suitcase rule. Like whatever size the suitcase is, I will fucking fill it yes. up. And yes. my fridge, I had a bigger fridge and I will fill it. Well, we had to replace our fridge and my partner bought it. And I was like, haha, you're the landlord. And, uh. He bought a new fridge, and he specifically bought a smaller one so I wouldn't fill it with so many jars of shit. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) The next time I'm at your house, I am going to have a long talk with him that is not okay. He's going to have all the condiments and things that are fermenting and the weird sourdough starter that I accepted from a friend because I love the idea of being someone that bakes sourdough bread, and then I never do. And there, yes, I'm right there with you. Um... But freezer. So I know you have a freezer in your garage. That's like the chest freezer. So I live really seasonally. That's really important to me. And right now I have a weird amount of ground beef because we got a really fucking killer deal where we got grass-fed beef for $6 a pound if we bought like X amount. I have blueberries. I have one random bag of raspberries. I have some mochi. I have a lot of zucchini fritters left over from last year because those freeze really well. I have pesto frozen. I have a shepherd's pie because I made two and I put one in there to be a convenience food for someday. But then I just like conveniently forget on days that I could just like pop that in right. the oven. And I have tamales and I have... Homemade tamales? From a vendor, not myself, but yes. Currently in my freezer... So I don't have a chest freezer. It's on the list of things I want to get. But um, I have a little freezer that's attached to my fridge. And when you brought – it is packed to the brim. When you when you came here today and you brought the TV dinners we're going to make in a little bit, I had to take things out of my freezer to fit them in the freezer. <laughs> but off the top of my head, I know I have some green beans from last year at the farmer's market I got that I snipped up into little like bits and they're in there. Um, I have some ginger juice cubes. Um, so those get popped into smoothies. They're like ginger puree juice kind of things. Fun. I also always have 
one or two gallon Ziploc bags for stock. So I throw all of my vegetable scraps in there. Oh. Always. Yeah, I have a chicken carcass mm-hmm. in my freezer. Always. I, I I can't throw that away. It's like the chef no. in me. I can't throw it away. It's gold. Um, so I always throw them in the freezer. I have a couple. I have some chicken feet in there for stock. Um, I have some like actual like stock that I made that's ready to use. Um, maybe some odds and ends of like some soup that we've made. Some potato soup, chicken soup. I do have a half a bag of pizza rolls. What else do I have in my freezer? I know I have blueberries. Um, I have some strawberries from the farmer's market that I had froze. An entire oxtail that has been chopped up. I have um, a bunch of beef bones to make. Is it real ox or is it just beef? It's just beef. It's just beef. Well, remember I had told you earlier this summer, off cam- off camera, <laughs> off recording, <laughs> I had told you. I butchered a half cow with my dad, which was really, really fun. So one of the requests that I had had with that animal is I wanted the cheeks and I wanted, which I have also in my freezer. Um, And I also wanted the tail and my partner really likes heart. So I also have an entire beef heart in my freezer right now too, which is massive. Um, I know you're, she's looking at me with this just face of like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yes. Do you do you like heart? Because I'd love to share some. I don't know if I've ever had it's it. It's massive. It's very metallic. Braise it. See if you like it. You're really selling it. I'm not a fan. I've tried heart in many different variations and I just am not into it. Um, I've never eaten it. I've held, like I helped butcher a pig once and I took the heart out of a pig and I. It's magical. I'm such a shit. I turned around to my coworker, and I had the heart in my hands, and I was like, "Happy Valentine's Day!" And I had that's so terrible. This like warm, big heart. Yes, yes, yes. He was quite disgusted. And anyway, yes, it's. I don't know. It's just it's not my. You do, and it's not. It's not my personal favorite um, organ meat. So, but I have that in the freezer. well, I know you have those TV dinners in your freezer. And the TV dinners. Yeah. So Do we, you want to dig into those? I'm, are you ready? Are you ready to take this on? I I haven't had a frozen, like, complete meal in a long, long time. So I'm really excited. I it's am gonna excited. It's going to be a little and, I, and I'm really curious to, like, hear your thoughts about it. I remember – so I'll play the recording for you. I did some on, on-site recording Ooh. Um, as I went through – fred meyer and was just like i haven't actually been down like the single frozen foods aisle in a long time because in my life when i go for convenience food i'm always buying like single use items like i was saying earlier like taquitos pizza rolls like those kinds of things pot right. stickers is another one that i'm Chicken just like nuggets. Yeah. did you know martha stewart started her own line of tv dinners dude she's so cool she's like what an empire line. which makes her fucking metal does it yeah dude martha is the best i i grew up with martha i loved her and as an adult bought you one but okay so here's the thing yeah the difference in price is under three dollars for normal tv dinners and if you buy one of martha's they're 10 bucks pop are you hungry very hungry are you ready 
Let's make some TV dinner. Let's turn it on, baby. Let's turn it up and turn it on. Thank you for listening. Your time is a gift that we appreciate immensely. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please follow, share, and rate this podcast. It makes a difference and it helps us reach more folks that want to digest their relationship to food. You can connect with me, Rose, on Instagram at Culinary Herbalism and me, Kamea, at Tasty Salty Real. If you found value in this conversation, send us a DM. We would love to hear from you. Episodes at the table every other Thursday. Next up, we are chatting about comfort foods. Is all eating emotional eating? My own inequality.